Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today on the show, we are back previewing or reviewing the preseason 2022 NFL Draft Guide. That comes out today, available to all Edge and Elite subscribers. You can get that for 40% off with promo code SAVE40. We're going to look at the Draft Guide, what's new, what's all that's in there. And we're also going to look at Mike Renner's early 2022 NFL Draft Board, the top 50 players, preseason top 50 players in the 2022 NFL Draft. And at the back end of the show, I interview current Illinois head coach Brett Bielema. Let's get it. Mike, the hype dust is no joke, dude. I am never going back. I will never do a normal smelling salt again. I think the obsidian whatever is just absolutely incredible. It just lights me up, and I, I kind of need it every single day. I would say after a few weeks off, it hit pretty different. Come yeah, on. we had a few weeks off. You yeah. did some things. You were in St. Petersburg for a little bit or St. Pete somewhere. I was in San Diego for two and a half weeks. Any highlights from the trip there? I was Yeah, I was out in Tampa. I mean, I just played beach volleyball, hung out, decompressed. Decompressed. I'm not, I'm not a decompressor. I, I'm like, like I, I can't relax. I'm never, I just like, I always have to be doing something. So I was down there. playing. San something. Diego was as expected. The weather yeah. was perfect every single day. The food is fantastic. I went to a handful of beach parties, a handful of concerts. It was incredible. It was a nice decompress as well. I will say that San Diego, the people in San Diego do not understand, do not get it in that you can, the weather is not supposed to be that good every day. Like it is rare. They the, take it for the, granted. The food, yeah, they take yeah. it for granted. They absolutely take it for granted. Like you're standing outside and it's like 66 degrees on the beach. And someone's like, oh, someone grabbed my hoodie. It's like, are you fucking stupid? Do you not get that no one else has this? No one else has this in the world. And it's just insane. It's insane that, uh, I mean, I lived there for four years going to school and now I, I can't take it for granted. Going back, I was like, I want to be outside every single day. I took every single meeting outside. And it's not humid, right? Or it's like, is that the thing, West Coast? It's not humid. Yeah, okay. it's dry. Oh, yeah. it's technically desert climate. Mm. San Diego is technically desert climate. I, I was at, so we're we're interviewing for a lot of open positions here at PFF, mm -hmm. and I'm the lead hiring manager for every single one. I averaged in San Diego outside interviews 27 interviews a day. I was doing 27 interviews a day in San Diego. It was insane. What? It was insane. Is that all you did out there? That was all I did out there. <laughs> On the weekends, obviously let loose, but yeah. we're, during the week it was insane. We're interviewing for like six new internships. Like twelve new full time positions, uh, a lot of a lot of fun stuff. PFF going to the next level here. A lot of exciting stuff. But we're back. We're back in studio, ready to rip it up. And today, the twenty twenty two NFL draft guide, the preseason version, comes out. Your thoughts? We've made some significant changes to the look now. I think it's is this the best one yet? It's always the best one yet. I, I mean, Fair. it's always onward and upward. I think the thing I tried to skew more towards this year with the design and the feel and like what we actually were putting in it was not to dwell on. What these guys do wrong like not to dwell on the bad but, but focus on what these guys are capable of because they're all so young it's like a lot of these guys are 19 20 years old sophomores only having maybe like some of these guys 400 500 snaps total in their college career it's like focus on what you saw there that was good because a lot of that bad at this point is because they really just don't have the experience and so focus more on that don't want to kill these kids too hard but you know We'll still give them, we'll still, we still got time for that. That's next spring. We'll do that next spring. 
Yeah. You know, this is what you come to the podcast for just roasting 19 and 20 year olds and telling them that they need to be a lot yeah. better, even though they're in there with like the 1% of the world that's even capable of going to the NFL. <laughs> um, it's over 200 pages available to all edge and elite subscribers. You can get it for 40% off. 40% off. That's $5.99 for our cheapest subscription option. You can get it for $5.99 using promo code SAVE40. Uh, the NFL Draft Guide, over 200 pages of analysis. We also added, speak to the, uh, the little icons we added. I think those are pretty sick. Oh, yeah. We did a little des graphical design. I had no part in that. I am not. Andrew Russell. Big shout out to Andrew yeah. Russell. I'm not artistically inclined. I am the opposite of that. I, I can't even, my handwriting so bad, uh, I, I can't write stuff. Like, I, I can't write notes. <laughs> I, I can't read my own. So yeah, you uh, always and when we go to trivia, you're always like, I got to be the scribe, and it's yeah. like, dude, no one can even read your. No, shit. but okay. So a little trivia. This is obviously going to be a tangent. Trivia hack: If you have you pick the person with the worst handwriting, because when it's like kind of a toss up between answers, you kind of and you think you're in the ballpark you, you, of what's the right answer is, but you don't maybe know how to exactly spell it or whatnot. When you have bad handwriting. It doesn't look like you fudged to try to make it look like it's kind of in the ballpark of whatever answer you wanted. Trivia it's just, hack. That's, that's their bad handwriting. It's, it doesn't look like you're cheating. It looks like you're kind of just doing the same thing you always did. So That's fantastic. Another part of this podcast I'd like for you to do is speak to some of the your favorite comps that you came across. You did a player comparison for, I think, all the 100 players in the NFL Draft Guide, the preseason version. I, some of my favorites, a more accurate Drew Stanton for JT Daniels. You cream hunt for Brees Hall, the running back out of Iowa State, and then Dante Pettis for John Mechie, wide receiver mm. at Alabama. That's a freaking dig, man. Come on. Stop. No, okay. Dante Pettis is a second round pick. Now, everyone hates the negative comps. They're the guys that didn't turn out to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's players. like, wait, you didn't comp him to a Hall of Famer? Exactly. So, so you're saying he sucks? It's like Matt Corral. Actually, Matt Corral is one of my favorites. I gave him Rex Grossman, the former Florida quarterback. Rex Grossman was a first round pick. Like, Rex Grossman was highly thought of. He was also in the NFL. Uh, for a while for the Chicago Bears. But style, it's more of a stylistically, that's how the guy plays the game. And, and Rex Grossman had a cannon. Rex Grossman attacked down the football field. That is what Matt Corral does. Now, the turnovers, the bad decisions, they're on tape too. So that's why that one is fitting. And the thing is, we, like I said, we're not going to skew too negative. But a lot of these guys aren't going to work out. You know, it's like, a, what is it? Even in the first round, it's lower than a 50% hit rate on guys that turn out to be quality starters. So if you're comping them to a guy that doesn't end up being you know, the best player at his respective position, that's probably realistic, sadly. Another comp I liked, you're, you're turning out the, the kind of the going deep here, Dominic Hickson to David Bell, the, the Purdue wide receiver. That's yeah. a deep cut, man. That would, deep. I do, I do love uh, when it's like, it reminds me of a guy and I'm like, who's it remind me of? And then it's like, it oh is. shit, it's a, it's a while ago. And I'm like, I have to almost go look it up who I'm thinking of. Um, but that one, Daniel Falale, the mountain, from Game of Thrones. Love that. That one, I mean, that one That one came to mind right away. That one was an easy one. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other that I liked here. Oh, gosh, there's one I liked. That Romeo I, dubs uh, to Aaron Dobson? Come on. What? That one's that one's good. That, you, you think that one's Romeo good? Dubs? I like that one. Um, Cade Mays to a poor man's Richie Incognito is one of my favorites. I feel like we're doing Cade bad Mays. podcast content right now. No one knows who these are. Okay, Romeo sorry. Dubs, wide receiver of Nevada. <laughs> Garrett Wilson, you, you uh, the Ohio State wide receiver, poor mm -hmm. man, Stephon Diggs. Uh, Chris Olave, I love this comp. Calvin Ridley. I mean, I, I think I always bring this up with yeah. Calvin Ridley. It, his work against off coverage and his ability to attack leverages, a leverage against off coverage. You see that with Olave because when he doesn't face press – He's still outstanding at creating separation, even when uh, you're playing in the cornerback's leverage. I think Olave to Ridley is one I really like. I think you have for Justin Ross, uh, Brian Quick. I think that's another really good comp. Uh, this wide receiver class, I know we talked about it. It's not as good as last year's. It's probably not as good as the year prior's either. 
Mm-hmm. But who are some of your favorites after going through this guide? Who are some of the wide receivers you really like? The one I went back and watched more of and it's like, okay, this guy I think can actually get it done. It's It was Drake London. And he had also one of my favorite comps too, Brandon Marshall, the USC wide receiver. Yeah. 6'5", 220. And usually that's not the type of receiver we go for, the guys that are not going to be separators. But he's such a loose athlete at that size. Like he was a top basketball recruit actually played basketball at USC and I think you see that in his game in in that he's not stiff he is not uh not like you know the DK Metcalf can't uh, turn he he can he he can get off the line of scrimmage he can do the things that you're going to have to do when you are at that size and aren't necessarily most fleet of foot and explosive because you're just it's difficult to be when, when you're that tall and high cut so he was the one where I was like, I think he can actually get it done uh, at the next level. Drake London was also, Clay Helton raved about the guy on that interview. He's comped him to Mike Evans. He's, he's the next thing in college football. And I think uh, when you go back and look at his tape, you forget that he's so big. So what, six foot four, six foot five. Like he's a monster, but moves yeah. very, very well for a big receiver. If you like a big receiver, Mike Renner likes a bigger receiver. You know the kid can move. Yeah. Because you don't like those big guys that are stiff. No, you yeah. don't like those guys who can't, who are only like contested catch types and those types of things. I don't want to get to every player here. Make sure you go check out the preseason 2022 NFL draft guide. There's player comps, advanced stats, you know, single game grades uh, by every week of the previous season. A lot of fun stuff. And if you subscribe for a year long, you get updates this thing. We update it, what, like three, four, five times a year with the combine that will ideally happen this year, pro day information, senior bowl, east-west shrine games now in Vegas. Are you going to the east-west shrine game in Vegas or are you going to the senior bowl in Mobile? It's a tough It's a tough Why decision. Both? Why not both? Why, Why not both? both? Um, all right, I want to jump to your top 50 now, and we'll kind of go through and, and we'll pull some nuggets from the draft guide as we go. Before we do, I'm going to hammer home this promo code here. Fantasy football season is here, and we are now offering 40% off any PFF subscription with promo code SAVE40, S-A-V-E-4-0. You get the fantasy football draft guide, fantasy draft rankings, fantasy projections, the college football preview magazine, which is what, over 1,200 pages, and has like, I think, three or four page profiles on every college football team, all FBS teams, and first edition of the 2022 NFL draft guide, the one we're speaking to, and all of PFF's locked article content. Go get it. Save 40, 40% off any PFF subscription. Now looking at your top 50, I don't want to spend too much time on the guys that we've already kind of hammered home as the, the top players in this class, but speak to the quarterback position and how good this class is. I know you will, a lot of people like this quarterback class, uh, Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell at the top, but we'll speak to the depth of it and then those two high-end guys. I think there's some interesting talent. I think it has nowhere near, so we went into last year at this time saying, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are, like you can lock them in to the top of the draft. They would have had to shit the bed hard to yeah. really not, to not get in the top you know, 12 from where they ended up. So I don't think there's anyone in this class that I feel close to putting in that realm. Like I, I'd feel better about Fields as a pro, felt much better about Fields as a prospect heading into last year than I do even Spencer Rattler, who's number one in the PFF draft board right now. But I do think Rattler is a super talented option, super raw, and, and like obviously needs to improve in areas. And like he was benched last year, what the uh, Texas game or the Kansas State game, I don't know, maybe what, but maybe both. Um, but he was not a down to down playmaker consistent quarterback the way you would like to see a quarterback prospect he's more just a high-end playmaker who does some quarterback things well so obviously you'd like to see a leap from year one to year two but he was again a retro freshman i think we've kind of become spoiled with at 
and we talk about the NFL level, the sort of the how much we expect these guys to hit the ground running at the quarterback position, how the evaluation of quarterbacks change where it's two years and then kick them to the curb, go with the next guy. I think a lot of that's been at the college level as well, where we expect these guys to be good as freshmen, good as sophomores now. And throughout the course of college football history, that really hasn't been the case. You know, the freshmen didn't win the Heisman until uh, this past decade, right? So um, I, I do think that Rattler, you will see improvement from him in year two. And I think just with what he brings to the table, arm and playmaking perspective, that's why he's QB1. Love Sam Howell, North Carolina, got an absolute cannon for an arm. Love his accuracy. Like, there's a lot to like there. I still just think that offense, some of his decision making, some of the way he holds onto the ball and how he reacts to pressure still needs to improve a lot. But there's talent with those two. And then one you second on Sam Howell. I talked to Mac Brown, I think, the other day, and we, we brought up Sam Howell and talked about his improvement and all these different things. I think one of the interesting things that Matt Brown said, I said, What is the next step for Sam Howell? You know, how does he improve? How does he cement himself as his top three, top five pick? And he said, he has everything you want in the quarterback position. He's just got to win now. And, and yeah. seeing a quarterback win, he brought up, you know, Mac Brown's been coaching since NOM, and he brought up the Vince Young days. Like, Vince Young was insane. What, what really changed is when he won that year with Texas and, and went the full way. That's when, you, when people bought into Vince Young as this high-end prospect. I think seeing Sam Howell go into the ACC this year and dominate and play at a high level to a point where he can get an ACC championship, I think that would – that would almost solidify himself as this top five player because I think a lot of people want to see him win, especially with the losses they have. And I know Mac Brown on the interview spoke to you know some of the guys they have coming up, and I think they have a transfer running back that they really like. But still, losing Daz Newsom, losing De'Ami Brown, losing Javante Williams and Michael Carter, who Mac Brown said might be one of the best running back duos he's ever coached. And he coached mm-hmm. Ricky Williams and Cedric Benson and I think Jamal Charles. So I do think that um, losing those guys would be interesting to see how he rises to the occasion and just how 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 dominant yeah. is UNC in the ACC like can he go out there with the team UNC has right now and be the best player on the football field and win and, and win them a championship yeah and that's this year will be massive for his evaluation I mean it's massive for every fucking player's evaluation that's like the year you really rely on so that's why again I said try not to really dig into these guys too much um, but the talent is there for him to be QB1 in this class. I, the talent's there for Malik Willis, the next guy in her, to be QB1 in the class, Liberty quarterback. And we've raved about what he brings to the table from a physical perspective, but really raw as can be, and only this past year is his first year as a starter. Um, and the last guy I'd probably highlight, or last two that i highlight, Corral, we talked about the Rex Grossman comp. That's kind of who he is right now. He's just all over the place in terms of the deep shots he's taking. I mean, Eight deep completions last year, eight second most in college football. Not deep completions, over forty plus yards downfield completions. Oh like, wow, really deep. Super like, he deep. attacks <laughs> down the football field, and he has that kind of cannon. Like he had, I think one of the five farthest throws in college football last year, just from release point to end point, damn near seventy yards. Uh, the guy who had the farthest was Carson Strong, Nevada quarterback, who to me is kind of the the sneaky QB one possibility in this class because he has got a hose and he's got a very NFL ready release and the way he gets rid of the ball. Now his pocket presence is kind of scary. He will just be floating and moving out of open pockets. Uh, very reminiscent of kind of Drew Locke in that regard where he's just falling off throws where he doesn't need to be. And, and especially when you're you know not playing top level competition, not facing what I would describe as NFL pressure where it's, you know, and NFL pockets that you see often in college. That's worrisome because it only gets worse than at the next level. But there's a lot to like about Carson Strong, the Nevada quarterback. So there's names to watch 
they're just as, like I said, not the the names like we've seen in this last year's class. To recap, in PFF's current you know top 50 board right now, it's Spencer Rattler at one, the Oklahoma quarterback, and then at seven, so QB two, but seventh overall is Sam Howell, quarterback out of North Carolina. Then you have Malik Willis as the 16th overall player, QB three out of Liberty. Keaton Slovis, you didn't speak to him, but Keaton Slovis there at QB four, the 19th ranked player in that top 50. And then you have Carson Strong as QB five, the 37th ranked player. Keaton Slovis, the the Anthony Trash special. He might be QB1. Now. He might be QB1. He might be QB1 now. I also talked to Clay Helton, and you know, a lot of people are excited about Keaton yeah. Slovis. And I think he, what was interesting is, obviously, this past season was nothing like his 2019 campaign. In 2019, he kind of lit college football on fire, was by far the most accurate quarterback, or not by far, right behind Joe Burrow yeah. in accuracy percentage at down the football field, 10-plus yards. He, he really showed it from an accuracy perspective that year. And in this past year, I think there were some changes in yeah. his mechanics, and then obviously COVID impacting the season. You just didn't see the same player. I will be, I think the biggest thing that I kind of, I don't want to say notice, but like saw from a lot of these guys, uh, especially like Pac-12 players, especially Big Ten, guys who whose seasons were really in jeopardy, going from freshman to sophomore year, you didn't see a lot of like big jumps mm-hmm. from guys like George Karloftis, Keaton Slovis, like some of these top prospects, George Karloftis, the P- Purdue defensive end. You, they encouraging as freshmen, and then it's just like, eh, you didn't really see much more as sophomores, but it's like, it's because they probably didn't, play any fucking football like they didn't they didn't get a spring they didn't get uh they didn't they were kind of up and down whether they're even going to practice or play in the fall uh and so they probably just didn't get the development or that chance to show it that you would have liked so i think you're going to see with a spring this year with um you know almost like two years of development going over one year now you'll see a lot of breakouts from guys like this you'll see a lot of movement to this board i will expect uh this upcoming fall so a quarterback that's not listed here, and I think he's it's, it's a good day to bring him up, is JT Daniels out of Georgia. He's not in PFF's top 50. I think on, PFF also came out with their college football rankings. I think he's ranked a lot lower than maybe J, um, um, Georgia fans would expect it at 23, the 23rd ranked quarterback in the country, according to PFF's Anthony Trash. Where are you with JT Daniels, and what does he need to do to be considered a first-round type of player? Because there are people who really like JT Daniels yeah. and like the flashes that they saw this past season. Yeah, I mean, he just... The flashes were nice. Like he's a former five star for a reason. He has that level of arm talent. He's not much of an athlete. He's not going to create that way. But you saw him attack down the football field. But to me, I think when you saw him against a better defense and the bowl game was terrifying because I I don't think he's and it goes back to his freshman year even at USC where he had a, a super high average depth of target had a ridiculously high average depth of target this past year at Georgia. I, I just don't think he has figured out when to take the favorable chances. He is just attacking down the field because he wants to attack down the football field. And then in the Cincinnati game, he's just throwing it to deep safeties and he's just throwing it right to guys and into double coverage. It's not, he's not taking the chance because they're there. He's taking the chance because he just wants to take chances. I think that's the biggest difference that I need to see from him this upcoming season. And then you just need to see more. Like it was what, four games from last year or maybe five? It was not a lot. And that's, again, quarterback is a, is a position you would like a large sample size at. All right, I want to move to the cornerback position. I think you tweeted this or, or mentioned this in the draft guide about how good this cornerback class is. You have seven corners ranked inside your top 50. I'm going to read yeah. them off, and then we kind of break down some of your favorites and, 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 and kind of jump from there. But cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU is the number two ranked player right behind Spencer Rattler on PFF's College 50. He's a guy we've been talking about for two years now. Yeah, I mean, he was... The highest graded coverage player, coverage cornerback, in all college football is a true freshman with LSU. And this past year battled injuries, but I think 2020, 2021 is going to be an absolute treat 
for Derek Singley this upcoming year. And then inside your top 10, Florida corner, Kair Elam, another guy that's graded really, really well, also has ranked really highly in PFF's advanced coverage statistics. Then Trent McDuffie, cornerback out of Washington, the 13th ranked player, Ahmad Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati's own. University of Cincinnati, um, 21st ranked player, Noah that, Daniels. That would be how that works. Cincinnati's own universe. Can I say I hated that phrasing? <laughs> Noah Daniels, cornerback at a TCU, the 28th ranked player on PFF's yeah. draft board. And then at 48 and 50, Martin Emerson, cornerback at a Mississippi State, and Andrew Booth Jr., cornerback out of Clemson. Many move off of Stingley. We've talked about Stingley ad nauseum. I, I do just want to say Stingley, <laughs> number two player on the draft board. It's about as good a cornerback as your prospect is. I don't know. We've seen PFF era. Uh, it's only a sophomore year, whatever. We'll see how he develops. But the comp of the draft guy is Champ Bailey, and there's no, like, a, I don't think I sugarcoated it. Like, he's that level of athlete. Champ Bailey ran a 4 2 coming out, Georgia. St- Stingley's going to run in that vicinity. If he if he goes higher than 4 Especially three, at LSU's pro day, he might run the 4-1. Yeah. If he goes higher than 4-3-5, I'll be surprised. Like, that's the caliber of athlete we're talking about just in terms of speed. An explosiveness that that guy brings to the table and at six foot one 200 pounds ideal size there's just he has that skill set that like press man island corner skill set that you don't see just doesn't come out of here doesn't come out of here compare him to jeffrey akuda uh, another cornerback i think he was the number three ranked player in that draft for us akuda was probably more physically imposing like size wise um Stingley just has more juice, like a, a noticeably more. Um, and it's kind of a little different type of player in that I think Akuda was a little more patient at the line, not a physical, not going to beat you got up, but then like was good uh, at just maintaining relation down the football field. Stingley, this is a little more aggressive, I'd say, like all around as a player. And, right. and for his career, 124 targets. He's been tested a lot, two years. 50 catches only, 40% completion percentage against. It's insane. Going to take a quick break before we jump to the next cornerback here. Going to mention this. In these uncertain times, Western Southern, life is full of questions like when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Go get your life insurance, fellas. If you weren't thinking about it today, now you are. Western Southern, there for you. How close is Kair Elam and Trent McDuffie, right now the ninth-ranked and 13th-ranked players, respectively, on your draft board? How close are they to Derek Stingley? Kind of compare them as prospects and then, t- and then speak to Elam and McDuffie. Not particularly close, in my opinion. Like, this one's Stingley. And then these guys are great prospects. Uh, don't get me wrong. Elam and McDuffie, I love their tape a lot. But it is just Stingley is that league of his own elam is again not that level athletically not that level from a speed perspective just not that level from a what he's put on tape this past two years but he's ridiculously smooth has very good ball skills and is a large cornerback in his own right i think listed at six two i don't know if he is six two but uh they were 200 pounds like he is that sort of presence you want as an outside cornerback and very very good prospect and then for McDuffie, I think in the draft, what was your comp for McDuffie in the draft guide? I kind of liked it. What was that? Let me find this thing. It was Julian Love. That's right. The Notre Dame corner. And now, again, it's going to be maybe you get pushback. Again. Julian Love was a fourth rounder, not has obviously switched to safety, but it's because they were exceptional zone cornerbacks. That is where McDuffie has been very, very good. And now he's listed at, I believe he's listed at 5'11. 
which if you're not listed at six foot as a college cornerback, that means you're probably five ten. Because if you were even in the vicinity, they would give you that extra bump. But McDuffie, very well built for a maybe like a, like I said, a smaller corner. Like he's shorter, but he's not smaller. He is strong, an exceptional tackler, um, very physical, and has very good instincts for the position. So, to me, you want a zone corner. He'd probably be the best pure zone corner in this class at the moment. Gotcha. And Sauce Gardner, we've talked about him a lot. Talk about one of the more physical cornerbacks in this class. Just really leverages that rule to where you can still make contact beyond five yards. Do you do you want do you expect to see that get fixed, or is that just the guy he's going to be? And, and how 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 bad of a trait is that? How coachable of a trait is that? Yeah, so twelve penalties in two years yeah. is kind of insane for a cornerback because they just don't you don't get flagged. I mean, there's no um, a little contact. There's and even like PI in college is not like the PI. Like PI is far more former called fall call, called far more in the NFL than it is in college. Like you get away with a lot of stuff in college. So that's the one thing that's just I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work out for him. What it's going to look like once he can't do that, and that's like where he can improve is one of the things we've added to the draft guide. Covert physicality. It's got you can be physical without making it egregious and making it look like he's just not even trying to stick with the guys stick with the guys guarding and just tackling him so my gardener like he's never going to get the high level of competition week in week out that a Derek Stingley is that a Kyrie Lim is like we know that that's you're going to have to accept that from a scouting perspective that he's going to be going up against you know a Notre Dame receiving core that doesn't really have much in the way of wide receiver talent an Indiana receiving core you know Fry Fogel, Ty Fry Fogel, that's probably like the best receiver he might see all season. That's going to be your opportunity to really see what he can do. But even then, I don't, you're, it's not going to be the pure route runners that might give him problems at the next level with a guy who's high cut, a taller corner, who's not particularly smooth. But I do think for as tall as he is and as like long as he is, he is, has the hips that you can still get by at that size. So, I think he's going to be your matchup press type of cornerback. Those are the teams that are going to cover him at the next level. I want to pivot now to the offensive line class. Look at the offensive tackles. And I know you're high on some of the interior offensive linemen as well. Tyler yeah. Linderbaum, center out of Iowa, interior offensive lineman out of Iowa. But for tackle, seven offensive tackles ranked in your top 50. Evan Neal, Alabama offensive tackle at number six on PFF's draft board. Jackson Kirkland, Washington offensive tackle at 15. Then you have Kenyon Green of Texas A&M at 17 on PFF's draft board. Ikem Ikwanu, who might have the most fun tape right now of any yeah. offensive lineman. Ben Fennell sent me some clips of him and I was watching some of them. I mean, this guy, and he's also, I think, has some of the highest, I think is the highest percentage of positively graded run blocks of any returning college offensive lineman in the FBS. And he, you see a lot of those positive blocks on his table, a lot of those big time blocks where he's pancaking dudes into the dirt. NC State off to tackle the 25th ranked player on PFF's preseason draft board. And then down towards the bottom here at 41, 42, and, and 49, Darian Kennard off to tackle out of Kentucky. Thayer Munford off to tackle out of Ohio State, and then Rasheed Walker off to tackle out of Penn State. How, we've seen some really good offensive line classes of late. How good is this one? And speak to this tackle class. It looks like a hot class for tackle guard converts. Yeah, like Iguanu, NC State tackle, he's going to be a guard in the NFL. I just don't see. He's going to be a guard, but I think he's going to be a damn good guard. Darren Kennard from Kentucky, uh, I feel similarly about possibly Rasheed Walker, but he may stay a tackle. So, I think it's a hot class for that and i do think 
after watching this, after going back through Linderbaum, and obviously I've watched a ton of them because we've been high on him ever since we first saw him. Uh, Same back. with his other teammate too, though. I know I remember Kyle uh, shot. Yeah, Kyle uh, but shot. Linderbaum may be the best center. When you could, uh, add, we'll see how it does this year, but he may be the best center probably prospect we've seen. I think since Frank Ragnow, or I think Ragnow, I think Ragnow. better than Frank Ragnow because I just think he's a better athlete than Ragnow. Ragnow was very talented dude, but I think Linderbaum athletically. He can do it all. Like that's what you that's want. Position. Like we put a center eleventh overall on the PFF draft board. That means it's pretty. This tape's pretty fucking good. Yeah, like, yeah. We're, we'd taking into account positional value and like how you can get how the sort of replacement level at guard and center is just much higher than a position like tackle or. Linderbaum is the only interior offensive lineman yeah. in the top fifty. Yeah. I mean, obviously the PFF's draft board is always going to factor in positional value more than others, but man, that really does Jeez. speak volumes to just how good the Iowa center is. Yeah, I mean, like we even putting a guy, even putting an interior offensive lineman in our top 25 over the past couple of years has been something that they better be damn good. I, I think we had Elkin Jenkins in the top 25. Who plays tackle now. In 2020, we didn't have any in the top 25. Uh, 2021, this past year, do we have... Any interior offensive lineman in the top 25? I don't think so. I think Leonard Dixon was interior offensive lineman one. Yeah, and I don't think he was in the top 25. So, oh, wait. No, we did. We had Elijah Vera Tucker snuck into the early 20s. So that was the only, like, those are the, so two guys, Elton Jenkins and Elijah Vera Tucker, the only two interior offensive linemen we said were top 25 players. You just love to see that. All right, let's let's close the doors here and then jump to the, close the doors here. I don't even know if that's an expression. Close the doors. Might as well. Might as well close some doors. It's about sad. Uh, We'll jump to the, um, Illinois head coach Brett Bielema interview. I want to speak a little bit to this wide receiver class because I do love the two Ohio State guys. Garrett Wilson, Mm -hmm. uh, the first ranked wide receiver on PFS draft board, the number eight overall player. And then shortly after that, you have Chris Olave at 18, the number two ranked receiver. Drake London all the way up at 22. Came away from that tape really excited. Uh, Traylon Burks, big receiver out of Arkansas at 26. Then Romeo Dubs, Nevada wide receiver, Dominic Hickson comp at 33, John Mechie, Alabama wide receiver at 34, Georgia's George Pickens at 39. And I think that wraps up the receivers in the top 50. I think that alone speaks to just this wide receiver class and how it's not, maybe doesn't really compare to what the 2020 and 2019 class offered. Yeah, I I do think, or I think it's more like the 2019 class actually, where it's kind of, I like the class, but I don't, there's not the top end guys that you love uh, necessarily. Like there's uh, there's not that group of like four or five guys where it's like, okay, you feel exceptional about them. I feel good about Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Now, are either of them like a true number one at the next level? Maybe not, but I feel good about those guys. After that, I, there's not one guy I'm like, he's definitely going to hit the ground running and be able to, you know, thousand yard type of wide receiver. It'd be very, very surprising if they're not. So that's how I feel about this wide receiver class. But again, there is talent. I think that's kind of just going to be the way of the world at wide receiver coming up with the development at younger ages and the proliferation of the pass game just throughout high school, throughout college, whatever. But there's not there's not the, the high-end dudes we saw, especially like this last year. I'm going to throw a curveball your way to finish yeah. the PFF top 50 board here. Who do you assume is going to be in the top 50 now or outside the top 50 will be one of the, if not the biggest riser after this season? Who do you expect massive jumps from this upcoming year? I think a name that comes to mind for me, Brenton Cox Jr., the Florida edge, who I think has flashed at times. I think a lot of people could like his tape by the end of it. MyJ Sanders is another one, group of five edge out of Cincinnati. Um, I think those are two players that come to mind. Like right now, Maybe some people are seeing him as fringe first-rounders, but, oh, buddy, you see them work this year, it's going to be a different story. The first name that comes to mind for me on the PFF draft board 
uh, would be Daniel Falle, the Minnesota office tackle, because I think he could get like he could be top ten. Like he has that sort of physical He's specimen. He's got the Becton size. Who can be that? Yeah, and it's Becton size and movement skills, but like even more so and more so. Like he is a f- true freak. So raw. We overuse the, we overuse the term freak. Everyone overuses the term freak. You don't. He's a true freak. I. Maybe I do, it's, but he's a true freak. That guy is a different, a hashtag built different, and, and he truly is. And so doesn't make the top 50 because he didn't play last year. Um, as a sophomore, it was the last time we saw him in 2020, 2019, and it was like you still saw that he does not have that killer instinct. He still doesn't, still new to the game. I think PJ Flex said he's only been playing football for like four or five yeah. years. 2017 is when he started. So not that long, but he, he can be a top five player in this class. I think at the quarterback position, Florida's Emory Jones. We've called him as like a very possible breakout just off the limited sample size we saw from him, but, you know, 95 dropbacks in his career. And I think the one guy, so he's already high on the PFF draft board because I, the more I watch his tape, the more I watch tape, I mean, I watched all his, literally all his plays because there wasn't a lot of them, but who I think the general public will start to come around as a top of the first round possible prospect is Adam Anderson from Georgia. Yeah. I just watched him like the get off, the way he attacks, exactly what you are now 235 pounds he is not there yet but I, I think more so than any guy i've ever seen at 235 pounds on the edge in the college football i think he can still get the job done at the nfl because it's just like a lot of his pressures are bull rush pressures that's a lot of what he does and he's got a ridiculous frame it's just you got to ask why is he still 235 pounds after being a five-star defensive end recruit and literally the reason he doesn't see the fields because of his, he can't play in the run game but we shall see. He's one of my favorite prospects in the class. Dude, I am freaking stoked for this upcoming college football too, season. Man. Fantastic stuff, as always, Mike. Really appreciate the work you put in. The 2022 NFL Draft Guide and the preseason top 50 board here. Let's jump now to the, I always say let's jump. I'm going to get rid of that. Let's welcome Brett Bielema, Illinois head coach, who also, in Champaign, Illinois, first college football game of the year, gave us a clear invite to, Mike. Brett Bielema said, hey, you better be out here. So we got to make a play. Back home? Come back home? Come back home. Let's go to Champaign, Illinois to open the college football season right. Full stadium. We'll go to Joe's. We'll go to New Cam's. They closed old Cam's. It all sounds awful. Yeah, well, Cam's was a disaster. Called Joe's and New Cam's? Well, I mean, so it was just called Cam's, but then they closed it and and opened up another Cam's elsewhere. So my guy in my bars just named after random white guys? Joe's. uh, If you would have seen the guy that owned Cam's. Um, Oh, there's like the Red Lion and um a few others firehouse but uh, it's been a minute i haven't been back there since let's go 2017 so let's welcome brett bielma illinois head coach to the show here on two for one drafts <sighs> now joining the two for one drafts podcast is current illinois head coach brett bielma brett great to have you on the show awesome great thanks for having me on we were talking a little bit before we were recording here and talking about you're born Right next, right, right next to U of I, or I guess Prophetstown is where you moved when you were four years old. But one of my favorite quotes from the pre-recording here, born with chicken pox, came out fighting, my friend. I'd love to hear about you know, what, you know, your origin story from Illinois and how excited you are to be back coaching for the University of Illinois. Yeah, you know, you, there's so many times in life, right, you're affected by things that happen around you or, or with you that you had no idea they were going to have so much meaning until later in life, right? And yeah, I grew up in Illinois, um, grew up in an environment that uh, really in, a, in, a, in an area in Illinois that was kind of a little bit of everything. There was, you know, we're close to the Mississippi border. So there was a little bit of Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois fan going on. So I actually grew up an Illinois fan, um, had an orange crust towel on my bedpost. Um, and uh, uh, my high school colors were orange and black. And then the orange and blue was obviously uh, very close to that. So 
kind of grew up as an Illinois fan. Um, uh, Illinois didn't recruit me, but unfortunately, uh, nobody else did either. I walked on at the University of Iowa and, and uh, you know, was competing against Illinois really from the time I was in college until the time I came here. I was a head coach, obviously, at Wisconsin, uh, was at uh, um, uh, Arkansas as well when we recruited the state. So I've been coming in and recruiting against Illinois for a long time, which really made me more familiar than ever uh, to take over and do this job as we have it now. Gotcha. I want to hit on a little bit of that, you know, that, that coaching you did at Wisconsin had an, um, an absurd start to your coaching career here at Wisconsin. I think you what, started with three Rose Bowls back to back, you know, back to back to back appearances there. Coached some absolute stars. Joe Thomas, J.J. Watt, Russell Wilson all had high end careers there in Madison, also in the NFL. I mean, it's to know because you know, all, all three of those guys specifically are leaders. And I think that's what you were grooming there at the University of Wisconsin. What do you feel like are some commonalities between Joe Thomas, J.J. Watt and Russell Wilson? Because, yes, they play different positions and they're all talented in their own ways, but I all think they left UW with legitimate leadership qualities. What are some commonalities between those three players? And, and where do you feel like there are some obvious comparisons between Wilson, Thomas, and J.J. Watt? Yeah, you know, three different players, three different stories. Uh, you know, Joe was actually a, a player uh, when I was a defense coordinator for two years. I, I was able to see the effect he had on the team. And uh, then going into his senior year, it was kind of an unusual uh, tour his ACL and his bowl game of his junior season came back and uh, was a senior captain and an unbelievable leader. I believe we had six captains that year and he was able to, you know, showcase his leadership skills, but also just pure recovery, right? He went through a lot of adversity and became fourth pick in the draft and obviously everything he did in the NFL. Um, uh, JJ was a little bit different story. I don't think JJ was actually our captain uh, for us. He left as an underclassman, so he's never actually uh, in that leadership role, but a very good player in his own right. Um, and then, uh, you know, Russell came to us as a transfer student and, uh, you know, came in really in July and in August was voted captain by his teammates, went on for a very special season uh, to, to win a Big Ten championship. I believe that was our second. And then obviously all the career that uh, success he had in the NFL and it was very easy, especially each one of those guys, but especially uh, probably Russell, uh, like a guy that came in in a short fashion. Um, the first grad transfer I ever really took took into our program. And um, you could see in a very short time that he had a huge effect, not only players, coaches, uh, fans. He just had that leadership quality trait that was very, very special. Sticking with Wilson, I, I think you told an ESPN reporter in 2015 that when interviewing for the Dolphins gig, you advocated for Russell Wilson, said you had to take him in the second round. I, I need to hear I, I need to hear that story from your end because I saw some details in that story. I want to know from your end what that story was and any added detail from, you know, telling the Dolphins they should take him in the second round, them obviously not being on board. Yeah, you know, um, it was really just kind of, again, one of those things you're a part of. You didn't know what to understand it. Uh, they had actually called me in December about interviewing for the job, but we were uh, preparing for uh, we had just won the Big Ten championship, uh, the very first ever inaugural Big Ten championship game uh, in uh, in Indy against Michigan State. We won that game, which put us in the Rose Bowl against Oregon. Um, uh, we had been to the Rose Bowl the year year before against uh, TCU. So kind of a neat thing about my history was we won the last ever non non championship game title. Right. We, we, we beat Ohio State, who was number one in the league beat Iowa on the road, and then we won four games to win out the regular season that gave us the Big Ten championship. And then the next year, the Big Ten championship game was created, and we won that inaugural game against Michigan State uh, to win the Rose Bowl, and then won it the next year as well. So one of the cool things going into the Big Ten season, you know, I'll walk into that uh, Big Ten meeting as a head coach has won more Big Ten titles than anyone in our, <laughs> in our entire league, you know. So that's that's a neat thing for us to grow from. But I would say – you know, later on, um, after the Rose Bowl, uh, Miami called. I went down and interviewed, and I was 
sitting with Stephen Ross, uh, the owner, and and uh, um, uh, some management people in the organization. And that was actually the year that uh, Peyton Manning was coming out, and and it was the Peyton Manning sweepstakes, and they were all talking about that. And I just said, listen, you know, I don't know where our guy's going to get drafted, but I think he's a guy that you know can really be something um, special. And and uh, uh, obviously they didn't think the same, and and. <laughs> The decisions were made and the choices were made and obviously it worked out for everybody involved but that, that's kind of what i was saying earlier in these moments like you have no idea how that's going to formulate to where we are now and, and uh, everything has a tendency to kind of work its way out you you obviously had insane expectations really high expectations for russell wilson going into the nfl but did you ever expect to see him like so quickly enter the top five quarterback conversation win a super bowl like he did with seattle did you think that quickly he'd hit the ground running because you uh, obviously had you know a higher opinion of probably anyone uh, coming out of wisconsin yeah I, I, I really wasn't shocking at all um once you're around russ and um it's easy to see his physical skills like his accuracy his demeanor um but the thing that I began to know and learn about Russell after spending a year with him in competitive moments was uh, he truly defines great quarterback play. Great quarterback play is defined by being at their best when things around them are at their worst. And that's that's kind of what Russell was. He was better in moments where, you know, you hadn't prepared for him or he was forced into a situation because the way play broke down to create and, and interpret a, a situation right in front of him. And his leadership skills were unprecedented. His ball accuracy was was obviously off the charts. He was a good enough athlete. Um, we didn't really use him as a running quarterback, but he was able to get himself out of trouble and and buy time to stay alive and throw the ball. Just and then it's just his demeanor and, and and his competitive nature. It's it's really what you've seen materialize in front of him. Um, you know, he's a guy that uh, has un, uncharted uh, uh, abilities. And as a head coach, you realize he's not a guy that's going to come around often in your lifetime. Um, you know, just somebody that has that extra special power. I want to pivot the conversation a little bit to offensive line development. I talked to PJ Fleck, coach of Minnesota, about how he develops receivers. He's done such a good job at Western Michigan and Minnesota doing that. Talk to Herm Edwards about defensive backs. For you, you've had a lot of offensive line talent in your time coaching Joe Thomas, Frank Ragnow, Travis Frederick. I throw Yeldy Froholt into there as well, a guy we really like to come out of Arkansas. What do you feel like are some of the uncoachable traits that you recruit for and kind of pray to God for when you're looking at an offensive line prospect? And what are those things that you can develop and that you prior? prioritize when you are looking to develop to develop offensive line talent yeah i think offensive line and defensive line have to be the core of your foundation right so uh, pretty boys are great and they all look good and they play good and do certain things but you know the foundation of what we believe in is up front right so good teams do three things they run the ball stop the run and, and cover kicks uh, offensive and defensive linemen are directly involved with those first two right so uh, for us in our program a lot of times big kids have been told their whole life, you know, don't pick on the little guy, right? Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't be big in moments where you're not supposed to be. So sometimes when you get big kids on campus, they haven't learned how to be mean. They haven't learned how to enforce their will, how to impose their presence. So that's what we try to immediately begin to do during the recruiting process. And, you know, everybody likes to go to homecoming with, with the quarterback, right? And, and uh, you know, the prom king is always the quarterback or the, or the pretty guy. Um, what we try to do is we try to instill that mentality in our, our, our line prospects as, as soon as we start recruiting them, we put them at the forefront for us. Um, when we travel uh, by airplane, they sit in first class. Um, they're, they're put in a premium seating for us because that's what we feel is important. And that's really been the foundation for what we've laid every program. And the ones that when we really started winning, uh, really at Wisconsin and Arkansas, when we went six and two in league play in the SEC and beat a lot of teams, no one thought we could. It was it was based on what we were doing up front. So 
Um, that's a premium for us. Um, I tell you, we probably can never uh, put enough value on length, athleticism, and, and transitional power. Guys that, while they're running, can still have power. A lot of times when they're bigger, when they start trying to move people, they try to put too much into the push instead of the drive, and they stop their feet, which causes them to fall to the ground. Um, there's just little things we've picked up on in, in evaluation that makes us uh, kind of stand out from the rest. You had two years working under Bill Belichick in New England and also, you know, a, a lot of really good coaches that, you know, prioritize offensive line talent as well. I've talked to a handful of coaches at the collegiate level and even in the NFL that have worked under Bill Belichick and all have kind of unique experiences or unique takeaways from that experience. What do you feel like were some unique takeaways or obvious takeaways that you had from working under Bill Belichick? And how do you plan to kind of take some of those and apply those at Illinois? Yeah, you know, well, First, you know, for uh, uh, my opportunity to go to New England um, had been a kind of a steady progression. Uh, I first got to know coach when I was a, an assistant at, uh, at Iowa. Then in my head coaching career, he drafted several of my players and just kind of a, a mutual sharing and understanding of thoughts and ideas. Uh, when the opportunity came to join him in New England, something that I, I ran to and literally every day in that building was was nothing but a, 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 a literally a utopia football. It just a constant learning um, things I'd heard before and got reinforced things I'd never heard before and, and were ingrained. And then also a mutual sharing of ideas and thoughts. So it was really uh, just two years of unprecedented learning and, and uh, something that I definitely use every day in our program. Recruiting right now in full force for you. I know you've, you're prioritizing it significantly and you already spoke to kind of some of the techniques that you've had, you know, prioritizing offensive linemen, putting them in first class. You know, you've had that experience at Wisconsin. You had that experience at Arkansas. What are you bringing to Illinois that is different maybe than what has been brought there in the past? And how exactly are you attacking recruiting to really compete in what is obviously a very competitive conference? Ohio State, these big blue blood programs, Michigan that have been there for so long. How are you attacking kind of this unique experience there at Illinois? Well, I think without a doubt, you know, you learn more through life, through uh, moments of adversity than you do through success. And um, the, the thing that I quickly began to understand in my transition from college football to the NFL was everything was based upon your roster. What is your roster made up of and how well and how fluid can you replace it year in and year out? So my three years in the league really have a huge effect on me as a, a head football coach in college now because of the transition uh, to the transfer portal, grad transfers and all of the different opportunities that are available for kids to move and transition. We are still a developmental program, huge emphasis on high school recruiting, but you can kind of use the, the transfer portal as a free agency uh, type, you know, situation. And that, that's what I did. I, I structured our entire personnel department, very similar to what an NFL team uses. Um, I have uh, Pat Embleton who runs our entire uh, recruiting and personnel division. I hired Jay Kaiser who handles our transfer portal, who came out of several years in the NFL. Um, I was able to bring a, a, a seasoned 30 year Hall of Fame uh, high school coach in from the ranks here in, in the Illinois high school that uh, works as our direct relation to high school coaches, um, Terry Hawthorne, former player who was also a high school coach. Uh, he's able to uh, uh, maximize and utilize his talents and abilities. Uh, uh, Nate McNeil, who had been at uh, smaller schools here in Illinois, had spent some time here and then was off uh, in college football at another location bring out really kind of an, a combination of people from across the country to formulate what we do here at Illinois. Probably one of the big game changers, uh, Pat Pearson, I was able to uh, re retain who had been part of my past as an athletic communications director, but he's really on top of social media, branding, imaging, likeness, um, and has been a huge game changer for us and our personnel uh, department. And a guy that, you know, all the things he is, uh, you know, was a part of at Oregon was able to bring that and harness it here in the big 10 kind of, 
kind of a new thing in college football that many are trying to replicate now. We, for us to get where we need to be, um, we need to beat our competition 365 days a year. We can't wait till the week we're playing them uh, to beat them. We got to beat them every day of the year. And that's kind of our, our frame of mind as we go to work every day. I love that mindset. I think that's absolutely how you should approach it, especially, you know, working there at Illinois where, Illinois, where adversity is coming, you know, all the time. I think Illinois, I read something recently that 21, quote unquote, kind of super seniors, people that are taking advantage of that extra year of eligibility due to the COVID-19 restrictions in 2020. I think you have the most returning scholarship super seniors of any power five team in the country. What over 80% of offensive starters coming back, 86% of defensive starters coming back. What impact do you think that's going to have on this first year with the program there with the university of Illinois? Do you plan, you know, and how do you plan to kind of live up to those expectations or take advantage of, of, of those super seniors returning? You know, Austin, that's a great point. So, you know, in college football, when I took this job, we were going through COVID and I basically said to Josh Whitman, our athletic director, we got to be able to take advantage of any COVID rules that, that, that can give Illinois an advantage. And, you know, Josh, our AD actually played here has two degrees, has a law degree, um, a guy that, you know, walked the walk of our players. So he, he's invested not just from an administrative point of view, but he was a former player here, a former tight end that played in the NFL. He knows what it takes to win here. And he's been fully supportive of us and everything that we've done. And to get those 20, we're actually up to 22 super seniors oh, now. Wow. Had two guys come back, um, two different stories. But one case in point, uh, Jake Hansen, who's a very accomplished player uh, in, in college football, uh, came back after training in the NFL uh, preparation for combine. And I think there's a lot of things that went into it, but I think he was really hearing from our current roster about what was happening here. Um, and a lot of times with transition, the rosters depart, right? Like I've seen teams in our conference, you know, certain schools we compete against with 20, 25 plus guys in the transfer portal. Since I've come here, no one has went to the portal on their own doing. Now I've asked some guys to transition out, which is part of what we're doing, but to have zero guys asked to transfer since we came in, in late December is really really something that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, but we also got a result in wins, right? So um, to have all those super seniors back as well as the senior class that would be returning and to combine those with the incoming players as well as the transition guys we brought in, it's uh, it's going to be a fun August and and hopefully in preparation to be that week zero game in Nebraska, which is the opening kick uh, in college football this year right here in Champaign. Yeah, we're excited about that one. I think I'm gonna make I might make the trip from Cincinnati to Champaign like to see it. that game. It looks it looks like a, an absolute treat. I think another thing I wanted to kind of bring up something I think it's important is just the coordinator hires that you brought in on offense, bringing in you know former App State T T Tony Peterson, a guy that ran outside zone heavy kind of play action heavy offense. I mean, to know what what principles is he going to take from his experience at App State to Illinois, and what this offense is really going to look like from a schematic standpoint. That's a great question. So, Austin, what I wanted to do is I didn't want someone to come in here you know, drop the playbook and say, this is what we're running. Um, I'm here <laughs> build an Illinois offense. Uh, TP, Tony did just come from, from uh, you know, but uh, uh, from um, App State, but he also has had multiple stops where he's a coordinator. I first came across him when he was at Minnesota uh, calling plays for Glenn Mason when they were running the ball and play action as well as anybody in the country. And uh, to see his career develop, move, I've known him for over 20 years. He's a guy who's been trying to hire. I just... You know, I had some great coordinators along the way. You know, Paul Chris was my offensive coordinator. Now he's obviously uh, continued to do good things at at uh, Wisconsin. So I've been fortunate to be around some good offensive coordinators. Uh, Dan Enos, who was at Alabama, uh, is now at, at Maryland. There's guys that, uh, you know, have continued to uh, develop my mind as a head coach in, in what offensively. But I think Tony represents and embodies everything I want. He didn't just come in and say, this is what we're doing. 
We hired Bart Miller, who's run the football as well as anybody in the country where he's been. Uh, George McDonald from NC State, who has had a lot of experience, especially coordinator level experience. Um, you know, just to kind of bring all of those guys in and and formulate what we're going to do here at Illinois. Uh, that's a great thing. Um, when we play Nebraska, no one has really seen what our offense is and can be. Uh, it's a constant evolution. It's a growth of what we do well with our current roster and also what we got to do minimizing our weaknesses. And, you know, with the rates of, you know, RPOs and play action just increasing both at the NFL level and collegiate level, what's been your opinion on what's driving that kind of increase? And also, what's your opinion of factoring that in the offense? There are still some NFL teams that are in college teams that don't factor in the RPO play action at the same rates as others. What's your opinion on those two schemes and how those are kind of moving forward in college and the NFL? Yeah, um, we definitely saw an increase even in my three years in the NFL. Um, but every, everybody's RPO is different. Um, the run-pass option um, is sometimes truer in other programs than others. Some ver run versions of it. It's a great thing to say, and it's catchy, it's cliche. Uh, <laughs> But it, it's really different for every team. I think the team that maximizes and utilizes what they do well is ones that are going to be successful, whether it's an RPO, whether it's a run, whether it's a, a pass, whatever it is, the teams that maximize their talent are the ones that win. And, and um, for us to be successful here at Illinois, we've uh, really spent the spring trying to figure out what we do, what we have, what we do best. Now we've influxed a couple of new players, some new roster additions. Uh, kind of made some subtraction to make uh, addition and and then really get ourselves in a position so that home opener against Nebraska is special. One more question for you, Coach, and I'll let you go. I really wanted to yeah. focus in on defense for this last one. Ryan Walters, new, you know, former Missouri defensive coordinator, a guy that you're bringing in to coach at the University of Illinois. I, I have this stat for you. He called 2.5% of the cover one plays in the entire FBS last year. He covered, he called a lot of man coverage there at Missouri. Do you feel that he's going to bring a similar approach a similar man coverage kind of strength or emphasis to the university of Illinois, a coverage concept that obviously needs talent to work. You need talent on the back end to stick and mirror a lot of receivers there. What's your, what, what's your thought on Walters? Is he dropping the playbook or is he coming in and kind of adapting to what Illinois brings to the table? Yeah. It's, again, it's same principle um, in, in Austin. You're, that's a PFF tat you just gave me, right? Like that's, <laughs> Hats and, and numbers, but it's always a part of your past, right? That's what PFF works off of is show you the history of what things are and they're the best in the business at it. But for me here at, at Illinois, the reason I hired Ryan Walters is a, the man he is, but also to work in a staff and an environment, you know, I've had a defensive background in history that we've got together and talk. Um, I have three guys on defense, Ryan Walters, Kevin Kane, and Andy Boo. All, all those guys have been coordinators at the highest levels in um, Ryan's going to call our defense. He's defense coordinator, but to add, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Kane, who was at SMU became an active defensive coordinator who transitioned here. Uh, Andy Boo had been a defense coordinator at Rutgers, uh, Maryland, uh, Cal, uh, like has had a lot of defensive success. Terrence Jamison, Aaron Henry, our other two defensive coaches who played for me at Wisconsin. It's just really a fun time to come in and blend the pay playbook and make everything great and make Illinois what we need to be. Hell yeah, Coach. I really appreciate the conversation, man. Best of luck this upcoming season. Thank you, Austin. Appreciate it. ILL. That's going to do it for this episode of 2 Foreign Drafts. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to 2 Foreign Drafts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave reviews. We're still taking mailbag questions. We're going to introduce, reintroduce the mailbag episode back into the show as we get closer to August. Really appreciate you guys. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Max Chadwick, and Mike Quinn, 2 Foreign Drafts. Drafts.